Alexa here. Welcome to this week's episode of Murder in the Mountains. This week, we have a new co-host, Lisa, here with us today. Hello. Lisa and I have known each other for... Um, like since 2008. Oh, um, man. <laughs> How many years? Uh, 12? 18 was 10, 19, 20, 21. 13. 13 years. 13 years. <laughs> Uh, that and, was. and we are both very excited to have yeah. her on so let's jump right in so this week's case takes place all over new york so instead of facts about just one city i'm going to tell you a few fun facts just about new york in general so new york became a state on july 16th 1788 it's the fourth most populous state in the country but new york city is the most populated country in the country most populated country it's the most populated city in the country did i say country Uh, i'm sorry (laughs) starting off good (laughs) so normally we will discuss crimes and the investigation and then discover a suspect but this time we are just going to jump in and dive deep into the particular man and his crimes all right hit me okay so let's start at the beginning um, also, disclaimer, this case is rough, messed up on many levels, uh, and includes violence against children, so listen at your own risk. Lisa does so not have a choice. I don't have any children, but I do have dogs, so if anything happens with dogs or cats. <laughs> no dogs or cats, so you're good. <laughs> Albert Fish was born as Hamilton Fish on May 19th, 1870. His father was 75-year-old Randall. And his mother was 32-year-old Ellen. So that's a 43-year age gap. I don't know if that was normal back then, but it sounds a little nuts even for the 1800s. Yeah, a little rapey. Uh, A little rapey. He was the youngest of four children. And as he grew up, he wanted to be called Albert after a sibling that passed away. Creepy? I don't know. (laughs) When Albert was five years old, his father died of a heart attack, unable to provide for her children. His mother placed them in an orphanage. Albert points out that this is where everything began to go wrong and it shaped him into the person he would become. And we've all heard the horror stories about orphanages. This one was no different. Albert said that he saw boys doing things that they shouldn't have been, but he didn't go into detail about what that means. Hmm. He was also abused by authority figures there. Eventually, though, Albert realized that he enjoyed the physical abuse he was receiving as discipline. What a freak. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> I don't know. I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Should I put a disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast? What, what do they do at documentaries? Like all views or all opinions stated in this documentary do not reflect those <laughs> of, the <laughs> of the podcast. So when he was nine years old, his mother got a better job and was able to care for her children again. So they moved out of the orphanage. Upon returning to his home, Albert would do self beatings similar to what he endured in the orphanage. He would punching himself in the bed. So he would paddle himself with a paddle studded with nails. And as a result, he quickly correlated pain with pleasure, which is called masochism. Mm -hmm. At the age of 12, Albert was taught a new deviant behavior. 
And I saw conflicting reports on who taught him this. Some said it was a boy his age that he was in a relationship with. And others said it was his mom's boyfriend. His mom's boyfriend was 12? No. (laughs) When Albert was 12, this happened. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So either way, at the age of 12, he was introduced to the act of drinking urine and eating feces. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. We're just... We're just starting off on a good note now. Uh, This led to him developing, I will probably butcher this, but coprophilia and urophilia, which is sexual arousal caused by eating feces and drinking urine. I definitely thought you were going to say like E. coli, not a weird fetish. (laughs) You could probably get a disease as well. (laughs) Go on. By the age of 20, he began raping and molesting young boys typically around the age of six when he was 28 he married his wife anna and they had six children together he continued abusing children even after he had his own did he abuse his own no okay when their youngest child turned three his wife left albert and the kids and started a new life with another man and uh as we already touched on according to his children he was odd and maybe had some mental issues, but he never abused them. One of his children recalled a game they used to play where Albert would get on all fours. The children would sit on his back, facing his butt, and they would hold up a certain amount of fingers. I wish y'all could see Lisa's face right now. She's <laughs> so perplexed. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to picture it, but also I feel like that's, I shouldn't be picturing it, but go ahead. Um, so they would hold up a certain amount of fingers. Albert would guess what number they were holding up, and if he got it wrong, then the children would spank their father with a paint-stirring stick the number of times or per finger they were holding up, if that makes sense. Okay, but wait, back up a little bit. So does his wife, like, before she left him, did she know that he was, like, into this shit stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There are no accounts on if she knew anything like that. Okay. It just, it's hard for me to believe that somebody would have six children with a guy who's like into abusing children. Oh, I'm sure she didn't know about the rape and molesting and all that stuff. No. Yeah. And hopefully not about the eating feces and hearing. Yeah. I'm not going to go after a guy that does that. Anyways, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1910, when Albert was 40, he began a sadomasochistic relationship with 19-year-old Thomas Kedden. He was 40? Yeah. Okay. It's questionable if it was a consensual relationship or not because Thomas reportedly had mental disabilities. Albert eventually took Thomas to an old farmhouse where obviously nothing good ever happens. No, like, not cute, rustic farmhouse. <laughs> yeah, like unless you're <laughs> Johanna Gaines, stay out of old farmhouses. <laughs> nothing good happens. So Albert tortured Thomas for two weeks and ended up cutting off half of his penis. His ultimate plan was to kill Thomas, but it was the summer and hot out. And he thought the smell of a dead body may draw some attention. So he's just leaving this 19 year old boy there to bleed out of his wiener. Well, um, instead, he poured some peroxide on his mutilated penis which had to have hurt like a mother father. Yeah, absolutely. And he wrapped it in a Vaseline-soaked cloth, kissed Thomas, and threw him $10 and left him. We don't know what happened to him. 
my God, like my invisible dick right now hurts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he literally said, I don't know whatever happened to him. I didn't try to find out. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Yeah. A few years later, Albert decided to up the self-harm game. The nail-studded paddle was no longer enough. He began to embed needles into his groin area. An x-ray proved that he placed at least 29 needles in the area between his anus and his groin and left them there. How do you fit that many? How big is that area? Like he like place them in his skin. Like if you just put it like yeah. under your, I mean, I don't know. From his, okay. I have questions, but I feel like they're not. I don't know that I would be able like, to answer them I anyway. Like I can't. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sure everybody has the same questions as I do. Okay, nails in private parts. Got yes. it. So not only that, he would soak cotton in lighter fluid or alcohol, put it in his anus and set no. it on fire. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I don't understand at all. Me either. Me either. So Albert continued to commit <laughs> crimes against children, mostly mentally handicapped or African-American children. Children he felt wouldn't be missed or their cases wouldn't be looked into deeply by law enforcement. Well, that's depressing. Yeah. So in 1924, he attempted to kidnap Beatrice Keel after he found her playing alone outside her house. How old was he then? Still like younger than 50. So that would be 54. Okay. He convinced her to go with him, but luckily her mother saw and intervened before he could follow through. That didn't deter him, though, because he went back to their house that night, but was found by Beatrice's father, Hans, and was again forced to leave. A good. Okay. So we just left it at that. Okay. He just chalked that one up as a nail. Yeah. So four years later, on May 25th, 1928, an 18-year-old boy named Edward Budd was looking for work. He put an ad in the newspaper that said, young man, 18, Wishes position and country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street. Albert saw the ad and immediately decided he was going to lure Edward to his home with promises of work and kill him. So like modern day Craigslist ad. Got it. Yes. Three days later, on May 28th, Albert goes to Edward's home to, quote unquote, interview him under the false name Frank Howard. His mother, Delia, answers the door and sends her daughter to get Edward, who is at a neighbor's house. While waiting, Albert and Delia began talking. He told her that he worked for decades as an interior decorator in the city and then retired to a farm he had bought with his savings. Oh, it's just like you. Just like me, but don't <laughs> call me a decorator. You're not a decorator. <laughs> Unless you want to get punched. <laughs> <laughs> so once Edward returned home, uh, Albert met with him and offered him and his friend Willie a job on the farm for $15 a week. You said Willie and Edward? Yes. Okay. So $15 a week is about $244 now. Okay. Surely a lot of money back then. Uh-huh. So they were elated and Albert told them he'd be back to pick them up on Saturday, June 2nd. That day came and went and Albert didn't pick them up. However, he sent a letter saying he'd be there tomorrow. He arrived in the morning with cheese and strawberries that he claimed were from his farm. Delia asked him to stay for lunch, and he agreed. This is where Albert met 10-year-old Gracie Bud, Edward's little sister. Mm. This is also where 
Albert changed his mind about his victim, it would no longer be Edward, but little Gracie. Uh Uh-uh. I already don't like where this is going. After lunch on his way out, Albert said he was headed to his niece's birthday party and asked if Gracie could go. Casual. Okay. Delia was hesitant, but Mr. Bud said she should go because she doesn't get a chance to get out much and have fun like that. Oh, my God. The mother's instinct. She should have stuck with her instinct. She should have stuck with her instinct. He told them where his sister's apartment was located and her parents agreed. And Albert said he would have her home no later than 9 p.m. When Gracie didn't go home that night, the Buds filed a missing person report with the police the next morning. Upon investigation, the police discovered that his name and the address Albert gave to to the Buds was a fake. Shocker. This is giving me um, abducted in plain sight vibes. This is nowhere near abducted in plain sight. That is so freaking crazy. So freaking crazy. The police put up over a thousand posters, but no leads came. The only clues they had at the time was that they found the Western Union where Albert sent the letter saying he'd be a day late and the store where he bought the cheese and strawberries that he claimed were from his farm. After that, the case went cold. Of course. However, what year was that? 1928. Okay. So the police did notice the similarities in a case from a year before Gracie disappeared, though. On February 11th, 1927, four-year-old Billy Gaffney went missing after he was seen playing in his apartment hallway with another boy named Billy. When his parents asked him where Billy Gaffney went, he told them that the boogeyman took him. As we've heard one million times, the police didn't take the disappearance seriously, considering the boogeyman was the main suspect. But, but the kid was freaking three years old. Like, did you want him to give a composite sketch? But like, but like, honestly, though, a three-year-old, I still I still feel like law enforcement, like, that's a credible thing. Somebody took him. You know, it's not the dang boogeyman, but somebody took the kid. A three-year-old's not just going to make that up. Yeah. Uh, he did tell them that, that the man was slim old with white hair and a white mustache. That description matched the one that the Buds gave, but they didn't make the connection to yet another case that happened four years prior to Grace's disappearance. In 1924, eight-year-old Francis McDonald was playing outside with his friends while his mom watched from the porch. She noticed a slender old man walking by their house while mumbling to himself. Francis's mother took note of the odd man, but carried on with her day since he only walked past the house. He didn't do anything else. However, later that afternoon, the old man came back and convinced Francis to leave with him. One of the neighborhood children noted that it was the same man they had seen earlier. How old was Francis? Eight. Eight, okay. When Francis missed dinner, his policeman father started a search. His body was found in the woods so badly beaten that they found it hard to believe an old man was physically capable of committing the crime. They assumed he had an accomplice, but the case went cold. Oh, my God. Okay, so, I mean, this might be a dumb question, but they found his body beaten like he was dead, right? Yeah. Okay. So, in 1934, six years after Grace Bud went missing, a detective put a phony lead in the newspaper to see if it would draw out the person who did it. He said, she was eight when she was kidnapped about six years ago, and it is safe to tell you that the Department of Missing Persons will break the case, or they expect to, in four weeks. Okay. This fake lead worked. Delia Budd received a letter 10 days later. The letter is insanely disturbing and very long. So I'm only going to read an excerpt of the letter, but it's still crazy messed up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting antsy. 
on Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester. I had already picked it out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run down the stairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked, how she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms. Cook cook and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have if I wish. She died a virgin. What are your thoughts? What the hell? Like, I... Hold on. Okay, so now he's a cannibal. Yes. His rooms. Did he divide her body up into multiple rooms? I mean, no, I, I think he, I think he just meant the kitchen. Okay. I was about to say, I guess that's besides the point. He's eating an eight-year-old... Or a, yeah, eight-year-old little girl. I, I don't... I don't think, I mean, I have thoughts, but I don't think that I have anything. (laughs) Words? I don't. Yeah, I'm speechless. I'm honestly speechless. And and he sent that letter to the mom. And so really all I'm picturing right now is like this mom reading this letter, like with her husband and like trying to picture their reaction right now. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Knowing that the details of the events leading up to the abduction were true. Police knew they had their guy. At the top of the stationery of the letter were the letters NYPCBA, which stood for the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association, of course. Okay. That's my first thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. Immediately where my mind went. Yeah. So police took handwriting samples of all the members and compared it to Albert's since they had already looked for a Frank Howard. No members. Mm-hmm. None of the samples matched. It was then that a janitor came forward and said that he had taken a couple of sheets of paper from the stationery and left them in his old rooming house. When she was given Frank Howard's description, the landlady said he sounded just like the old man who had lived there for two months. The old man who had checked out of her rooming house just a couple of days earlier and had stayed in the same room the janitor had, except he gave her his real name, Albert Fish. Oh. That's where I messed up. Yeah. (laughs) Albert told the landlady he was expecting a letter from his daughter to come to that address and asked her to hold it for him. When Albert came for the letter, the police were there waiting on him and they finally got him after all these years. Thank God. I thought this was going to be another like it still was never he was never caught. Well, I guess that wouldn't make sense because you already know who he is. Never mind. Yeah. Um, Albert wasted no time and began confessing everything. He admitted to killing Gracie and led police to her decapitated remains. Oh, my God. He also admitted to killing four-year-old Billy Gaffney. Here is part of his confession, which is just as bad as the letter he sent to Gracie's mom. The next day, about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, 
homemade, short handle. Cut one of my belts in half, slit these halves in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bare behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged out his eyes. He was dead then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. Oh my God. He then went on to describe how he cut up his body and made a stew out of his body parts, which he ate on for four days. Holy shit. Okay. I, yeah. Again, I like, I'm literally speechless. Like how messed up of a person do you have to be? And he's just so nonchalant. Yeah. Like he's just, okay. So is what you read like another letter or is it just like a transcript from? It's his confession. Okay. Yeah. A witness in the Francis Mc, uh, O'Donnell case also came forward and identified Albert as a man they saw him leave with. During his trial, his defense attorney tried to claim insanity, stating that a psychiatrist labeled Albert as a psychopathic personality without a psychosis. His defense focused on the cannibalism as proof of insanity, claiming no sane person would do that. I mean, I agree with that, but I also feel like that is an easy out. Yeah. Um, Like, obviously, there's something wrong, but is that what's causing it all? I don't know. No, do I still think that he... Never mind, keep going. I don't know what's going to happen yet. You've shocked me at every point. (laughs) (laughs) So after only 10 days, the jury found Albert Fish guilty of murder and he was sentenced to death by electric chair. Okay. That was a prospect that Albert seemed excited about. Remember how he used to light his beehole on fire? Yep. Mm -hmm. So this would kind of be an amplified version of that. Yeah, an amplified version of a cotton ball in your butthole and he like expressed he's like well this is something i've never tried before oh my god is there a documentary on this i think there is oh i'm gonna go watch it only two years after his sentence on january 16th 1936 66 year old albert fish was executed Mm, look at that justice (laughs) (laughs) what in the world though like literally i did not I'm usually pretty good at like guessing what you're going to say. Like, you know, usually it's like, oh, the dad's guilty or, oh, the mom, whatever. Mm-hmm. At nowhere in this story did I know what was coming next. You're like, okay, okay. He rapes boys. Okay, okay. Yeah, oh, he cut, he, he cut somebody's penis in half. Oh. oh, oh, he didn't kill him. He just threw him a tin and let him be on his yeah. way. Yeah, with like a Vaseline covered dish rag yeah okay he uh was gonna kill the teenage boy oh nope he's killing the little girl yep oh ate the girl oh oh he ate her yeah yeah ate the little girl and then talked about how he straight up like heath ledger joker cut the other little boy mm-hmm. Mm-mm. and okay so another thing and you probably don't know this answer he reproduced yes are his kids normal um, I didn't see any evidence that they were not. Okay. Mental illness did run in his family. His mom had hallucinations. His yeah. aunts and uncles had issues. But even he pinpoints the orphanage as the start of his problems. Yeah. Which is understandable, I guess. I mean, if he, if that's like how he grew up. But that doesn't point to mental illness. No, it doesn't. But that, I mean, that's more towards the. Like the a trauma. Enjoying. You know, that kind of stuff at a young age. And then I get, I mean, curiosity, but honestly, like insanity, like how can you, no one in their right mind can do that. 
No one with a conscience can do that. Yeah. Agreed. <sighs> I mean, I'm glad that like he didn't kill any animals um, that, <laughs> we, that we know of, but um, that mom, like a mother's instinct is huge. She should have listened to it. You just met this old man. And granted, yeah. it was the 1920s, different time. But I mean, Mm-mm. and like for that dad to be like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You, my dad would never. Lamar would never. <laughs> Lamar. Hashtag Lamar would never. <laughs> hashtag Lamar would never. Ugh. Hashtag okay. Tammy would. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag Tammy might. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yeah okay good good story do you have any other last thoughts comments concerns it's 9 35 at night and i'm so ready to go to bed after (laughs) i'm not gonna have nightmares at all like i'm gonna get the best sleep of my life after this thank you for this (laughs) bedtime story absolutely am i gonna go look up the documentary and potentially watch it before i go to sleep yes (laughs) at least add it to your queue oh absolutely yeah i have all streaming platforms we'll find it yeah okay all right i'm glad you saved that for me thank you so we would also love to hear y'all's thoughts because i'm sure you have them how could you not how could you not and if everybody you know the drill rate review comment on apple podcast every rating and review helps as long as they're good ones then they help (laughs) I even left a review one time. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, and it was great. It was one star. <laughs> was so I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, for your support. And come back next week for another episode of Murder the Mountains. See ya. Bye.